Hey everyone, Shannon here again with another content warning. Now, I'm assuming that if you're here, you have already seen Season 5, Episode 4, Gogamela, which is great. It's a fantastic episode, but that also means that you know we will be discussing that last set of scenes with Naomi and Marco on the Pella. With that in mind, this is a content warning that we discuss abuse, manipulation, gaslighting, um... And, and things of that nature in that storyline. We also kind of go a little bit into things having to do with the language of the oppressed um, that might be a little uncomfortable. So if that's like not your bag, uh, that is also towards the end of the episode when we discuss Marco. With all of that in mind, thank you for listening and please enjoy the episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to yet another episode of The Tight Beam, a show which at this point feels like it just endlessly records just over and over, never ending until I just break a piece off and edit it. And it is not my worst nightmare, but certainly a nightmare. <laughs> I'm just so happy to finally get a break after today, but <laughs> we're going to we'll get to that. We'll get to that later. Uh, this episode had so much going on in it, this fourth episode of season five, and we have so much to talk about. So let's quickly, you know, introduce our host so we can move on into that. I, as always, am Shannon, and I'm joined by my co-hosts, Fred and Andrea. Hello, Andrea. How are you? I am doing fantastic. It's snowing here. Mm. It looks so beautiful. I hope it remains. I think it's going to be... Um, Kira's first snow, so it's going to be really exciting. So I hope it stays on the ground after we are done recording so we can just throw her in the snow. Yes. Yes, please. And send many pictures. Yes. <laughs> and Fred, how are you? I am doing fantastic. It's the first day of winter. We have snow. It is the third day of our vacation. We have been doing nothing but video gaming and having fun. Uh, looking forward to... Our, was this our fourth recording in four days? I don't know. Something like that. Yeah, At least that's what it feels lot. like. We just feel like we've been recording nonstop endlessly. And it's like we, we were recording last night. It's like I need a vacation from my students. Now I need a vacation from Shannon. <laughs> wow. Wow. I love you. I was going to say, it's been nice getting to hang out this much for the first time since <laughs> January 2019. Yeah, that's but true. But that's also fine. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, it's been a lot. We're all just really tired, but uh, we're going to do, we're doing whatever we can to get ahead of you guys <laughs> so that we can actually have a reasonable release schedule after today. So we're, we're so excited to finally be uh, regular. Yeah. After this, I think we're all going to be a little relieved. Just I'm not even going there. <laughs> I'm too tired today, Fred. I edited an episode. I watched an episode. I'm so brain dead at this point. But I can't be because I got to talk about this title. So the title of episode four is Gogamela. Now, I'm pretty sure for a long time, this title was misspelled literally everywhere I looked. And so I, I didn't know why everyone was so nervous about an episode titled Gogamela. And then I realized that it was, or Guagamela, sorry. 
And then, of course, I, I figured out that it looks like it was just spelled wrong, and now everything's fixed. And so if I feel like the Berenstain Bears argument, you know, where, mm. like, it's a parallel universe where it is spelled Guagamela. I don't know. But here we are. So um, Gogamela is named after the historical Battle of Gogamela, which is also known as the Battle of Arbella. This was the decisive battle of Alexander the Great's invasion of the Persian Achaemenid Empire. In 331 BC, Alexander's army of the Hellenic League met the Persian army of Darius III near Gogamela, close to the modern city of Dohuk in Iraqi Kurdistan. Though heavily outnumbered, Alexander emerged victorious due to his army's superior tactics and his deft employment of light infantry. It was a decisive victory for the Hellenic League and led to the fall of the Achaemenid Empire. So you can see where this is going. Mm-hmm. Yep. The belt, which has always been at a disadvantage when it came to military might and the prejudices of the inners who control their stations, managed to pull off multiple decisive victories despite their disadvantages all across the system. You have the rocks falling on Earth, the first rock, and then two more over the course of this episode. You have the attack on Martian Parliament, which was like a blip. If it was a blink, if you miss it, blink and you miss it, uh, detail. And then you have the attacks on Tycho. Yeah. So what, how do we feel about all of this? There was a lot. Hmm. So I think Marco has had some very, very strong victories early on. But mm-hmm. for him to sustain a prolonged war or battle with both Mars, the Earth, and the opposing factions of the belt, he needs a lot of, ship, a lot of ships mm-hmm. and a lot of help. And I think there's more to the story. We don't know the rest of it yet, and there's no way Marco can today stand up against all these forces and win. Mm. So he's dealt a, a vicious first blow, um, and without help, he is going to get absolutely squashed. Mm. Yeah. I think that he's a smart man, and he played his cards well. And But I think he's out of cards. Well, he's writing on the fact that the Belters are going to see how much power he has to do. Like He had the balls to do what he did, and he's hoping that people will turn to be with him. It's either they're with him or they die, like, at this point, so. The one thing that's interesting to me is he's taking credit for all of this, leaving out the fact that he has some very powerful help. Yeah, exactly. Um, which we we still don't know the truth of at this point. But he's you need to have the resources to do all this. So he definitely is not he's taking a lot of credit for somebody who didn't necessarily do all that was needed to do to secure this victory. Yeah. Um and so I feel like you know, Naomi's kind of hinted at it in this episode. It just makes you wonder if uh his, what his ego is going to make him it really over, feels uh, like the next episodes it really feels like he's a puppet for someone else and he's the face of all of this mm-hmm. and he may go down for it and the real people that are pulling the strings behind him um are still going to be in this uh, the shadows and they're they're going to get away with it yeah they don't need a spotlight 
Exactly. Marco seems like the kind of person who needs a spotlight. He does, absolutely. And he holds that spotlight well. Don't get me wrong. Mm. Oh, yeah. He is we terrifying. Are gonna, we are going to talk all about that broadcast for sure, for sure. Any lingering thoughts on the idea of using Gogamela as a title? No, it's a beautiful reference to um, Earth history. Excellent. Uh, this episode was again written by Dan Novak and directed by Nick Gomez. So here we go. In brief. As news spreads across the system of the attacks on Earth and Mars, Bobby and Alex continue their hunt for answers following the Barkeith into the belt. Amos visits an old contact, Clarissa Mao, in the maximum security prison known as the Pit, a visit that's interrupted by the falling of another rock. Avasarala and Delgado try to reach anyone in Gao's cabinet to warn them of more rocks and how to stop them, only to finally be believed just before a third rock kills them. Not uh, Avasarala and Delgado, sorry, the cabinet. Fred's trap gets turned on them as a hectic attack on all fronts leaves Holden facing his greatest... I put failure, but maybe defeat is better. Um, Naomi comes face to face with Marco Inaros, the former lover who set her on her path and set all the previous events of the episode in motion. And one last note before we move on, if you watched that intro very carefully, you actually get to now see where the rock hit in, yeah. on the off the coast of, uh, not off the coast, it is actually on a tiny peninsula city, which I did notice on rewatch. You can see the city in the distance when the man is fishing yeah, and um, you see that it knocks out the city when it hits the map on the opening. So it's this tiny little peninsula city off the coast or on the coast of Senegal. Um, so it's very, that's what I mean. Watch those intros. You're going to get really cool details moving forward. Okay. Let's start the episode breakdown. And this one's a fun one. We're going to start the screaming firehawk. What? Bobby and Alex. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. I'm going to summarize this for you. And the first thing we're going to do is talk about how we have made it. We are no longer just a bottle of whiskey or a favorite bar. <laughs> Bobby and Alex continue to follow Babbage. Alex wrestles with the idea of Martians turning their backs on Mars and Bobby's resignation to it compared to his disappointment. Bobby tells him about a pet rat she'd had that she had stayed with as it died. She tells him this story to explain that eventually you get tired of an emotion and some people have to do something about it. I guess rather than still feel it, I didn't finish a sentence. They receive word about the first rock falling on Earth and learn that the Martian parliament has also been attacked. I really enjoy the story that Bobby had. Mm-hmm. That like the the fact that like she comes to terms with her loss and she doesn't bury the rat because it's gonna make things better for the rat. Mm-hmm. She does it out of like the fact that she needs that closure. Mm-hmm. And everything that she's doing, even though she knows her planet is doomed, she's doing mm-hmm. it because at least she tried to make things better. Um, and I, I I absolutely loved it. I think it was a really, really cute. Um, just story that she was able to tell. You know, you've heard that story before. That's a story from the books, yeah. and it's a story that Holden tells in book three uh, when he's on his way to the alien station and he's panicking 
and losing his mind and he's scared. And as the fear disappears, he recounts a time when he his family dog died. Mm -hmm. And the whole time the dog was dying, he sat with it, he cried. Um, and then eventually he stopped crying because he just grew so tired of being at, in an extreme emotional state that he got bored of it. And it was supposed to be a point of like how humans eventually reach an emotional limit and they either, you know, move on to something else or they try and do something about it. And that's what Bobby's saying. She realizes that Mars is dying. And rather than, you know, scrambling to save it or something, she's trying to figure out, I guess, why, or just trying to yeah. do something about it, rather than just sitting there on Mars, watching it crumble around her. And Alex has that line where he's like, so I guess we're gonna build a coffin for a dying planet or something. And yeah, that's what Bobby wants to do. Like, she's not gonna let Mars die quietly, especially if m higher up Martians are having something to do with it. Yeah. And you know yeah. what? The, just talking about it, oh, I'm looking outside and look lovely. Anyway, <laughs> um, it's really interesting because I think that that's exactly the same thing that happens to Naomi. Mm -hmm. um, she she has so much pain, so much loss, and at the end of the day, it's not that she wants her son back, she just wants him safe, and, and that's it, like, she has done everything she can, and at this point, it's up to him with what he wants to do, she has done everything in her power, and I think that Naomi and Bobby are in the same, they're, they're in the same side looking at the destruction and trying to see how better just make things for the world. Mm. Anything to say, Fred? No, I, I agree. Well, I guess the other cool thing that we could talk about here is that uh, they have renamed the Razorback the Screaming Firehawk, which has finally fulfilled Alex's dream from season one of giving a ship a badass name, <laughs> the Screaming Firehawk. I, I love <laughs> that they did that. I think it, it just... It is a great shout out for but, everything yeah. that the fan community has done. Yeah, I and think it's beautiful. It's a lot more than what they could have done. It, I love it. They could have just left it as the, you know the the poster in the bar and called that fantastic. But no, they took it to the next level, and I have nothing but respect for them for doing that. Yeah, it's it's very funny and it's it's nice. It's nice. It's you know. Back way back in God, I forget what year. Um, I want to say 2017. When, how do I put this? When one of your illustrious hosts made a joke on Twitter that accidentally was taken seriously, and that illustrious host did not ever think that that was going to be that, like, one of the most famous ships out of the series was going to be named after, like, the fandom, the name that the fandom chose, and a name that some people had argued maybe we should change mm -hmm. in recent months, even though that name belonged to us. All your fandom name belonged to us. <laughs> um, I love that shout out. <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's nice. It's really great to see... Like, I know that they had to rename it so that the Razorback wouldn't be recognized 
Um, so it was a smart move, but they didn't have to name it the Screaming Firehawk. They no. didn't have to do a season one callback. They didn't have to do a fandom shout out, but they did. And it's a meaningful one. And it's a blink if you, blink and you miss it one. Yeah, but it is. It's great. It's so it was, great. It was really funny because Fred was on his phone and I was like, wait, I'll say again. Turn it back. Turn it back. <laughs> rewind. Rewind. <laughs> we made it. <laughs> we did it. We made it. Our name and lights. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that was that was really nice. Um, and I guess also Alex's conflict here of, of having to come to terms with the fact that Mars is dying, which is something Fred talked about last night. I mean, the last episode, which was also last <laughs> night, in which uh, which I just listened to because I just edited it. Uh, where he doesn't recognize this Mars. He can't bring himself to recognize as this as the natural progression of Mars now that the rings gates have opened up, that his son is going to have to live knowing that his society and way of life that he was raised in is dying out yeah, um, or changing. Not necessarily dying out, but changing in a way that feels like death. Mm-hmm. Um, and that he hopes that... Um, Melas finds someone like Bobby who he can talk to about these things who will, who understands what he's feeling or what he could feel. And it's nice to finally see Alex give a damn about someone other than himself this season. Yeah. Um, I actually like, finally, I'm not angry with Alex anymore. It's nice. <laughs> um, but I really, I did really like that scene and that, not, that like very human wrestling with the truth. And understanding that it is the truth. Yeah. Because he's been so angry with Bobby for feeling the things that she feels. Well, I think a lot of it was just him in denial that Mars yeah. is still thriving. It's the Mars that he grew up with, that he's proud of. And and Bobby has seen the corruption because she mm-hmm. was she was infiltrating that corruption to see what mm-hmm. was going on so she has more um experience in that regard whereas alex is just listening to mm-hmm. the stories he hasn't experienced them to the extent that she has yeah yeah all right so we move to the next one anything else for the screaming firehawk nah son i love it all right all right so let's head to earth uh, Amos listens to the newsfeed waiting to be allowed into the pit, a maximum security prison for those with body modifications who cannot be left in general population. He's taken to Calissa Mausel, who doesn't believe he's uh, even there until they start talking. She tells him she's been living by the advice he gave her and guesses correctly that he's there to help her, something he came to realize while reliving uh, his memories of Lydia. Just as she starts to refuse his help, the lockdown alarm sounds, the building around them rumbles, and everything goes dark. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah, this would be absolutely terrifying. They're getting hit by the rocks while, what was it, 13 stories underground? Yeah. Or 12 stories underground? I think 14, but I'm not sure. I lost count. Yeah, they, they mentioned at some point how many flights of stairs they'd have to climb. But yeah, it, it was a lot. Yeah, it's very, very deep underground. And I really like that that conversation that, that he has with the guard about um, the people who are uh, imprisoned in the pit. And uh, the, the, 
the fact that body autonomy is the law of the land. Yeah. What a what a concept. Um, to the point where like they still have the right to keep they they can't like the government cannot force them to remove their medications. So mm-hmm. they either have to live drugged up or with blockers or have them remove and risk their surgeries. And I just find that concept really fascinating that like consider a government that respects the rights of his people. Yeah. Wow. Blasphemy. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? Crazy talk. Um, but I just love the concept of this prison too. Uh, it just looked like a prison. <laughs> it, just, it looked like a futuristic underground prison. Like it felt like it was what it was. It was nice. And that, I, yeah. Oh, I was just going to say that one guy. What was his name? Kochek? Yeah. The big like that. guy. That big guy who I feel like might be important later. Yeah, well, the, the Expanse never leaves anything for, like... <laughs> so, it, it's a foreshadow, of course. Yeah. <laughs> it always is. Um, I really like that conversation with uh, Amos and, and Clarissa when he tells her about Illis. Um, and he, you, you finally realize the reason, like the, why he called Avasaraladas to see her, um, is because he, he, that flashback, you know, he remembered somebody who wasn't good telling him that she was going to try and help him be good to the best of her abilities. And there is somebody on earth that he knows who maybe isn't good, but could maybe have the help of somebody who also isn't good, but is trying their best. Yeah. And that she straight up refuses it. Like there, some stains never come out. Like it's just, uh, it's just a really good. Like it was really nice to see that conversation to see Amos like showing that care to someone outside the Rossi crew and like showing that he wants to try and help them. Yeah. Yeah, I, I really like it, and it's it's interesting because he has a nickname for um Amosarala, and he always and he also has one for. Clarissa Peaches uh, and every single time anybody says Clarissa I don't know I can't like it doesn't come quickly to me but mm-hmm. as soon as they say Peaches I know that that's who um, we're talking about but I really like this and it does come to show that um, that flashback that he had um, with Lydia did affect him uh, having to go back to Baltimore and just reliving or reminiscing about the past um, kind of gives him a new road to follow. And that's mm-hmm. being the Lydia figure to somebody else. And that somebody else is Clarissa, that he hasn't given up on her, that he knows that she's done so many bad things. Um, but there is still that chance for redemption because he feels like he also has that chance to be redeemed. Mm. And I love that. Mm. Yeah, it's one of those few um, rare tender moments that we see with Amos, if he can actually have any. And it's really neat to see him take her on as either like uh, a pseudo daughter or a little sister or something like that. And he just wants to have the best for her, even though she's in a prison and she's confined. um, He wants to try to make it less painful. also liked that bit so it's kind of a gray area and it's hard for some people to understand even with the flashbacks in season three how and why clarissa did what she did 
Um, and I think Amos kind of sees to the heart of it because he says, I just turned the wrong page. He says, people like us, the things we do, it's not just on us. The world is messed up and it can mess you up. Um, yeah. And so he, I think, sees at this point that the way she was brought up and like the competitiveness between her siblings and her father being cutthroat and, and nasty and like her just wanting to get his approval, like maybe some other similar characters with morally gray issues going on right now who just want the approval of their parents. She did some horrible things in a misguided attempt to revenge her father slash get approval from him. And it drove her to a really dark place until, until you know, she realized she was wrong about Holden she was wrong about herself, she's wrong about her father, and she ended up helping Holden save the day. She, in fact, did save the day. Yeah. Um, and it doesn't undo all the things she did, but Amos can see that she wants to be good. You know, she talks about how she's going to her therapy and she's following his advice, and so he can tell that it's not that she's a bad person, necessarily. She is a person who did something very horrible, but doesn't want that to be the thing that defines her. But and she did so I think something that's why he wants to help her. Because she loved someone. She did it out of love. And that's that's the thing. As misguided as it was. Yeah. Yeah. She had to experience it to then see that it was wrong. Yeah. yeah. And and Amos sees that in her. And that's probably that's why he wants to help her. He if she wants to be good, he remembers a time he couldn't be good and wanted to be good. And if he can help her, that's what he wants to do. <clears throat> It's nice. It's really nice. I'm so proud of this. <laughs> yeah, he is growing a lot, and it's less <clears throat> selfish, um, and and it's nice and refreshing to see his character grow because he has been growing yeah. since the beginning. He has he has been needing to be tamed, and in season one, he, the only person stopping him from killing somebody is Naomi and I think that he has found more solid ground to stand on I feel like he after you know getting stuck on Illis with Holden and being alone with Holden and Alex for those six months I think he's just kind of learned a lot about you know the compassion that he receives yeah and the care for the family and seeing Holden try to do his best and to be good, even when it's hard. Yeah. And that reminded him of Lydia. And I mean, I made that joke before about righteousness. And I think that he, he wants to follow Holden's example as best he can. And he can do that by trying to help instead of focusing on survival. And I think that's partially why, just like with remembering how Lydia helped him, he thought he could help her because W-W-H-D, what would Holden do? <laughs> Not necessarily the best thing to live by, but it's it's a compassionate way, I think, to live. And that's what Amos is trying to look for. Yeah, he has been using Holden as his guiding light. So, yeah, you're right for Amos. That's what he needs to, to stick with, um, to, to stay on the straight and narrow. Get me a bracelet that says WWHD, and it's just, you'll just see me hitting a button somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. So, is there anything else in terms of Earth and um, Amos? Uh, this is setting up for, for more things if Amos and Clarissa survive. 
yeah, you, you definitely have that fear for them and how they're going to get out of this um, prison. They're so far underground. What, what's this going to look like? You definitely have that feeling of dread for them. And you want it's to see how this plays out. Yeah. 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 But if there's two people that I trust to get out of these bad situations, it's both of them. Yeah, true. <laughs> All right. So now that we have finished on Earth, as it is being nuked-de-nuked, um, we go straight to Tycho, wow. and I think that this is, <laughs> I think this is one of the most shocking and I think exciting bits of this episode. Um, so Fred Holden and Bull all lie in wait as the Smeya, Smeya? It's like, yeah, it's the Smeya, something like yeah. that, yeah. Approaches. Things seem to be going their way until the Samaya starts acting suspicious and Holden realizes they have a trap on their of their own. As the Samaya fires on Tycho, Sakai reveals she's a double agent by shooting Fred multiple times and sabotaging Tycho. The Zamea continues their attack with a breaching pod sent to Fred's office, where Fred reveals to Holden the sample has been kept the whole time. Holden races to get to the office, where Monica has been captured and a robot extracts the sample. Monica and Holden try to stop it, but Sakai and the robot prove too strong, and Sakai manages to get the robot back into his pod and off the station. Uh, Sakai uh, mocks Holden and Monica for losing. They go to see Fred, only to find he hasn't survived the attack. So there is a lot in this episode um and it just comes to show that you cannot trust everybody there is always somebody that is not there for you um it was just really interesting when they start realizing that um the Zamea is very suspicious and it's not doing what it's supposed to be doing and you just hear the shots and you you see Fred get shot i just gasped i was not expecting that and it was super super sad as a book reader we know sakai is the double agent and we're expecting it but still when it happens it's just devastating um obviously things happen different here than they did in the book so there's still the big surprise um I, i won't tell you what happened in the book versus here but just wow like to live that closely with Fred and Holden and then to betray them so coldly, she must be feeling something sinister inside. Yeah, her tone was, uh, in the aftermath of everything, was very... Playful. I wanted me to punch her in the face. Though. Playful and chilling, yeah, yeah. It wasn't, like, it was so mocking. And she's somebody who was, like, friendly with Holden. She was friendly with Naomi. Mm-hmm. And she was somebody who was playful with them as, like, a person. And, like, Holden had defended her to other people. And it's just, you never, like, unless you recognize her name, you never see it. And, and you've read the books, you'll, you never see it coming. Yeah. And it does play out incredibly different in the book. Fred is right. Um, so book readers are sitting there lying awake wondering just how this is going to play out. And, oh, boy. When book readers tell you that even when they watch this show, they don't know what to expect, we mean it. Like, yeah, this was, was such I a was departure. 
Yeah. Like, I mean, a lot of it was similar, but a lot of the details were completely different and a lot of the outcomes were different. And I do want to say before I get into everything, because it is burning me up inside, holding it inside. The greatest moment of this episode to me was when Holden got completely cocked by a robot. (laughs) (laughs) Like, God, just cold cocked by a robot. Like, first of all, his face that the listeners can't hear, but my see, but my wallpaper right now, my background for this episode is Holden when he realizes he's dealing with a robot. He's a bad robot. (laughs) It's a very bad robot. Holden, no one seems to have any idea how to stop this robot. The Tycho guards, no idea how to stop this robot. And it is a Savage Industries robot, which I thought was a very cute callback to season three and Adam Savage. But uh, he, so nobody knows how to deal with this robot. Holden finally figures out like a way to deal with this robot that actually does something. (laughs) Punches him in the face. Mm -hmm. He gets punched in the face by a robot. And I'm sure the fans who have been waiting to see a robot for all these seasons, you finally get what you want, <laughs> and you get the added bonus of it punching Holden in the face. It's just, I, it's not meant to be funny, but I think it's hilarious. I, I, I found this scene with Holden and the robot, just him shooting at the robot, like, one, a little bit reckless, <laughs> and two, <laughs> Wait, extremely frustrating. It's yeah. like, okay, you shot him three times. It ain't doing much, honey. Go go see what you can do close up. And I feel like yeah. maybe it's glass proof or like maybe it's more secure that I give it credit to. But like I wouldn't aim a gun at a protomolecule vial. I, I think that that was a little bit reckless. And knowing what Holden knows, I think that he should have done that. <laughs> Even if he knew that it wouldn't do anything to the, to the protomolecule sample i just i wouldn't aim a a weapon to that maybe just walk up to it and press the off button (laughs) 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 maybe they could have called alexa to to deal with him (laughs) so yeah he he could have walked up to the to the robot and just hit the off button that probably would have helped or you know would have punched him pull the power plug Throw a blanket over it. Then it trips over its own feet. I mean, there could have been a lot of things he could have done in this. Um, he just gets cold cocked by a robot. <laughs> of all the things that, that season five has given me so far, or that I thought season five was going to give me, Holden getting punched by an evil robot was not at all my, so, my season five bingo card. You say evil robot, but its color scheme was more that of a cute thing. I know, <laughs> it was good. I thought it was so cute. I was like, look at this robot doing his little robot job, doing the robot dirty work. And he punched Holden. I lost it. Um, I also, I really liked Monica saving Holden's life. Um, Could have let him go, Monica. Could have been done with it. Yeah. But you saved him. And I think um, I have a question. And this is a serious question. This is a very serious question. Now, I know I said I wasn't going to ask this question in episode one. But I would like to ask it now. Why is Holden so hot this season? That's your opinion. <laughs> listen. No, no, no. Listen. When he, gra- like, when he grabbed the gun, first of all, he had that, like, I, it took me a couple watches to figure out what he was doing. 
But when he deactivated Fred's mag boots, he's or he gives he orders people people around. He goes and grabs a gun that's just floating. He and he goes and he shoots somebody, kills her in one shot. Holden, what are you doing? What's get, what is your skincare routine? Are you sleeping now? He actually had like really really good um, aiming in this one. Um, when he goes into the room and he like immediately headshots that one um, mm. person with. Um, with um, Angelica's doll. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he he was in the military. Like, yeah. he was trained in this stuff, so it's nice to see that his training holds up. Mm -hmm. um, but I just, you know, I was like, I was like, and I remember seeing him grab the gun in the trailer, and I was like, I would like to see the situation. And then as the situation was actually happening, I was like, I would not like to see the situation anymore. It is stressing me out. Yeah. It is stressing me out. Um, but the, the end of it, just well first of all too bad so sad we have to acknowledge that that is now a canon thing that was said in the expanse it's too bad so sad too bad so sad she is so creepy she's so from creepy. the very beginning she is so sweet as a person outside of the show but that hair is just creepy and that voice is just terrifying and when she's yeah. like a bad guy and you know it and she's cooing all her words oh it's just ugh, ugh. the shivers and i will say <clears throat> what was really heartbreaking um was when old and monica went to go see it, how it turned out with fred and he didn't make it <clears throat> and holden kind of pauses and he looks at bull and he calls back to the first episode and he says he deserved to finish what he was building yeah. It was really sad. Um, because, yeah, Fred was an Earther. Um, he didn't really have any skin in the game of helping the belt succeed. And as we may or may not talk about later, his methods weren't entirely the most helpful. Yeah. They weren't necessarily the most successful. But he was trying to build an independent belt. Mm -hmm. That is what he wanted for them. It was part of his own journey of redemption but it's also what he truly wanted and that is he holden took that to heart and we saw him take that to heart in their conversation in the first episode and now fred is just gone yeah and that power is is gone and it's just really sad well the stability of taiko and fred's faction is, is gone as well like that could completely fall apart now. Mm. Yeah, especially because it's like how many people were involved. Yeah. And how long has this been happening? And all kinds of like, you know, questions about did he really have a handle on his own house? Exactly. Which is something Holden accused him of back in season two. That's why he and Holden had the falling out they had. Because Holden accused him of not having a handle on his own house. Because of the first attempted coup. In our governments of today, we have provisions in case, you know, a leader dies. Um, mm. But in the belt, it's not around uh, a government. It's around a leader, an individual, a, a person. So if when Fred dies, you can't just say, oh, his number two is going to take over. It's just not going to have the same, the same quality as it has today. And he also, he lost his number two a while back. Yeah. Drummer. And we don't know what Dawes is up to. Dawes is in the wind. 
So. Well, I have a funny feeling Dawes is involved to some degree. He just seems like a under underhanded player. Yeah. I I I hope that we see Dawes again because I understand that maybe Jared Harris is just a very expensive get nowadays <laughs> because he's had a lot of success. I'll do it. Like a lot more success. <laughs> oh God. He's. Yeah. Listen, I love you, Fred, but you're no Jared Harris. Aww. <laughs> um, <laughs> Jared Harris could do Fred, but I don't think Fred could do Chernobyl. <laughs> no, uh, but he's just had a lot of success and a lot of jobs since his last appearance in season two. So he said he wants to come back. And I think if it's possible, if they can make it happen, I think he should and he would. Um, because Dawes does have a role to play in this arc, in the books, uh, over the two books that, that we're touching on for these last two seasons. So I would like to see him again. Um, I, it's just, I want to know what's been going on, on series. I, I with, think with Cortazar. we might be able to see him, and if not, then they might do some, I mean, they do scan everybody's face, so they might be able to do something. Mm-hmm. With the scans that they have of all the actors and the actresses, we we can see if that happens. Mm-hmm. Any lingering thoughts on Tycho? Oh, it was so heartbreaking to see Fred Johnson dead. Mm-hmm. I just i I felt for Holden because I think that he, at least he was entertained. <clears throat> while Naomi was gone and like he has some things to do and like now he sees that he's in so much danger and like now everybody is in more danger because the protomolecule has been um the sample has been stolen so i think that he he needs his crew back for sure oh and for the belt we have Holden's only i i know he didn't trust Fred and there there was some tension there but he, he at least was comfortable with him. He knew him. And now it makes him even more alone where he is. Yeah, he has no allies. Like, he has people he's worked with on Tycho. Yeah. But Monica's But he can't trust anyone friend, now. Right? Yeah. Monica's probably the only one he has left to trust and maybe Bull. But even then, he might be suspicious. But Bull is also an Earther. So yeah. there's less of a chance of Bull working for the OPA faction that attacked Tycho. But Monica's really, at this point, the only person he can probably trust on Tycho completely, and that's a wild concept to me. All right, so let's move on to Luna. Uh, Avasarala, now seeing she's been right all along, desperately tries to reach the UN fleet now that a rock has fallen on Earth, proving her suspicions. Delgado arrives with news that a second rock has fallen in Pennsylvania, causing them to lose contact with the UN in New York City. They get creative to reach Gao to convince her to connect the watchtowers, which can connect, which can detect Martian stealth tech, to the asteroid sentinels. She finally sees what's happening, orders the reassignment, and thanks Avasarala for saving more lives, only to be killed with her cabinet when UN-1 is taken out in the shockwave of a third rock. I also left out, um, I completely forgot, they did connect the sentinels and uh all of the officers on earth watch are all the officers on luna watch as the watchtowers successfully well the sentinels successfully take out the asteroids as they continue to fall on earth so 
If Gal wasn't so proud and so against Avasarala, there would be no rocks that hit Earth. Mm, yeah. So I think it's fitting that Gao is dead, and I think Avasarala is going to pick up the mantle yet again, as she should have all along. Well, hindsight is twenty twenty, and you don't know who you're going to get as your leader until they end up being your leader, as America has unfortunately learned in the last <laughs> few years. Um, and it's not necessarily that Gao is a bad leader, either. She just, to be fair, what... You know what I mean? Like, I, I can see where she's coming from. She's not wrong. It's, it's, it's frustrating that she didn't listen, especially from our perspective, because we, we support Avisrael. We know she's right. But what does Gal... Gal gave her a job, and all she did was ignore her job and investigate Marco and Aros. If you just followed an assignment that you were not given, yeah. and your boss is begging you, begging you to do the one thing he asked you to do... Would he not be right in at least being annoyed with you? Yeah, but I'm right, so it's okay. Oh, my God. Anyway, <laughs> but the, the point is that, you know, she does eventually see it because it does become undeniable, and now the proof is there. And unfortunately, sometimes you have to wait until it's too late for, you know, a whistleblower to to be completely seen as honest and yeah. America has seen its share of whistleblowers over the last few years. So we, you know, it, to me that, that seems plausible and she does listen to Avasarala in the end. It's just, it's too late. It's too late for her and it's too late for another millions of people. But she had to trick the chef to get mm -hmm. the phone delivered to Gao yeah, for them to listen. Else, yeah. Everybody was at this point <laughs> fed up with these people. Like even the we see the head of her the head of chief of staff straight up deny the call. And it's like, bro, she still works for you guys. You should be able to answer her calls. And I and I think that's like like super frustrating. Like mm -hmm. I think everybody should be working together. Something's happening. We know that something's happening and everybody's still at odds with each other and that's not right. Like this is a moment where you need to come together. It doesn't there should not have to be a massive destruction. Mm. Uh, it doesn't take millions of people to die for people to come together. Like, when are mm. we going to learn that? Well, good question. I'm wondering, you know, a certain hundreds of thousands of lives later, but hey. Um, I mean, this also brings into question for me what... You know, people who, who get annoyed that there isn't more proto-molecule in this story arc after the story arc of season four, um, they kind of illustrate a point that Gao is illustrating here. When we turn our eyes away from what we see as inconsequential con uh, conflicts towards what we think is important, we don't know what's going to happen because we're ignoring that conflict. So... When we turn our eyes to the protomolecule and the things it can do, we turn our eyes away from the people who are most affected by the openings of these gates and this technology, the people who are butchered for this technology on Eros, the people who have been under the boot of the inners. We ignore the conflict that has been boiling over between the belters and the inners because we're so worried about this shiny alien technology. And what happens if we ignore that conflict? It's going to fester 
and it is going to explode. And that, that's basically what we see with Gao. She ignores Avicerala's warnings, and more rocks fall because of that. And she ends up killed because of that. We can't turn our eyes away from what's the other important things just because we think something else is more important. It's, that's, that's pretty much, to me, the lesson of book five and six, when we go from super proto-molecule-heavy stuff to them. I think the idea is we get so distracted Right. By this thing that we forget the conflicts that we left behind to focus on that thing. And and unfortunately, Marco has risen to power in that in that ignoring, ignoring, ignorance, words. Yeah. And that was a powerful scene. Uh, it was. Um, and I think that it was inevitable for things to go the way that they are because people are selfish as soon as, as, soon as they get into power but yeah. I was not sad to see her go <laughs> and I think it's just I think it's a little bit of um, not selfishness um, a bias because we mm. love Avasarala and we know mm -hmm. that like she's right yeah um, but yeah yeah and I mean speaking of sad uh, the seawalls mm -hmm. in New York fall and New York floods. Uh, the mm -hmm. seawalls fail and New York floods. And if you watch the map carefully, because it took me a minute to understand what I was seeing on the map, it's showing you how deep the flooding goes. I mean, Manhattan is almost entirely underwater. Huge chunks of Brooklyn, Queens, and the Bronx completely underwater. Yeah. Millions of people live in New York City. That's devastating. Millions of people and live in New York City today, not to yeah, mention today. what it's going to be hundreds of years in the future. Yeah. And, and Manhattan is the business center, the power center, the art center. Like, the, it's completely underwater. And, of course, that's where Arjun works because he works at Columbia, which is in Manhattan. Yeah. And so she's trying to get a hold of him to make sure he's okay, that he wasn't affected by the flooding because... The, they've lost contact with the UN. A rock has fallen in the Poconos, which ripped to the Poconos. Um, for those of you who don't know, the, I, I double-checked, and the area, I watched the map very carefully. So he says 40 kilometers northwest of P Philadelphia is where the, the second rock fell. And um, as someone from outside of Philadelphia, uh, and judging by the map, that is the Poconos. That is the old mountains in Pennsylvania, part of the Appalachian Trail, and um, rip to the Poconos, probably rip. Well, Philadelphia is probably damaged. It depends on how big the rock was, but rip to Pennsylvania. <laughs> uh, so yeah, that was. Uh, I was like, oh, finally a shout out, and I was like, oh no, rip. <laughs> it's nice to hear Pittsburgh get a shout out too, but. Um, yeah. yeah, as soon as we saw that uh, Philadelphia got hit, I was like, Shannon, you got hit. The Poconos Rip, got hit. The Poconos <laughs> got hit. Listen, that's... It's the Poconos, man. I... Rip. <laughs> I actually they have gone. to see what towns are 40 kilometers from here. I'll be interested to report back in the future. <laughs> um, but yeah, and that final scene with them is just so powerful when they watch the rock coming in and the sentinels destroy it oh yeah so good and I, at first at first when they break the rock and it just makes them like a 
couple more, I was like, well, that didn't work. That's <laughs> dust. Then they had to follow up. up. The, yeah. the, the one line I liked on Luna, though, was um, when they go to that bar where they later watch the rocks destroy, where Delgado brings her to the bar to see everyone coming together. And she says, misery loves company. Yeah. And he says, hope does, too. Yeah. And I was like, oh, yes, because when we need hope, when we're despairing, we, we go to other people. And so he wants to show her that, like, yes, like, everyone's terrified, but they're, they're coming together. Mm-hmm. And because she's hiding alone in her office trying to get somebody to answer her. And I think it's, a, it's important to him that she see that her people are, are trying to get answers and tr- being together in a time that's really scary. Yeah. That scene is impossible, you know. So... Overall, it sets up, like, the next couple of episodes, and it's going to be really exciting to see how, whether this brings people together or makes a divide even wider um, within the different factions and places. All right. Off to the Pella. Uh, So Naomi is brought to the Pella, Marco's Martian warship and the flagship of, of his faction. She meets Marco again for the first time since she fled uh, when Philip was an infant. Using a wealth of tactics, Marco gaslights, manipulates reactions from, and mocks Naomi as she shows her for the first time what they had done. Naomi is horrified at not only the deaths of millions, but that Marco put the blood on Philip's hands as he has had hers before. Philip proudly declares his part in it. Devastated, Naomi is taken to a cell and is locked up, left with all of her characters as they listen sorry. Left with all of our characters as they listen to Marco's victory speech, taking credit for all the attacks and declaring himself the head of the free navy that the belt is fr- finally free. Sorry, I typed this up as fast as I could, so there's <laughs> a lot of typos. No worries. This scene hurt. A lot. The, the amount of hopelessness that Naomi must feel during these moments where Holden's world is being destroyed by the man that she once loved. It's just... And just not being able to get through to her child. Everybody's separated. Does she know that Amos was going to Earth? Like, there must be so much going through that woman's mind her mother-in-laws her father-in-laws yeah (laughs) everybody and and i'm pretty sure i don't remember if he showed her that there was an attack on Tycho too i don't know if it was that if it timed out well enough but i'm sure that would have left her uh considerably worried if he had but i just can't remember i didn't put it in my notes or anything i just realized it when andrew mentioned holden i was like oh yeah that guy (laughs) who is he again (laughs) <laughs> who? Holden who? Um, yeah, this scene was uh, really hard to watch. Um, it's so plain to see Marco twisting everything she says and does. And mm-hmm. that he shows her the destruction because he knows how she's going to react. And he wants Philip to see how she reacts. Like, he is taking every opportunity to gaslight and manipulate everyone around him yeah. well he's I mean, feeding off thing, of it it's making him more yeah. powerful 
the first thing he says to her, because she's like, why did you have Philip take me so I could see, like, how powerful you are or whatever? Because that's, you know, that's that's the truth. That's what she knows him as. Yeah. And he says, oh, everything's always about you, isn't it? Are you serious? I got so... He makes... Keon Alexander is very good because he makes me so incredibly mad. He is very frustrating to watch because you know exactly what he's doing. It it does anger me a little bit that... A little bit. A lot. A lot? Um, Just because it's so obvious that he's so manipulative and everything Mm -hmm. that he says is just to make her feel even worse. Um, And that's everything that he has done to her in the past and she was able to obviously push through it and and escape it but not everybody gets that luxury and that chance to escape he has a i wrote down a couple of his top hits here um I wrote, uh, she said, there are other ways to protect belters than with warships. And he says, says the belter who already has a warship. Like, he thinks he's being cute. Like, he's got a point, but. But it's not a belter warship. She doesn't. She Right, exactly. It's not. Well, she, it's just he more doesn't manipulation. call it a belter. He doesn't call it a belter warship. He says she's a belter who has one. But, uh, again, it leaves out the fact that she doesn't. They don't use it as a warship. So that like, he twists everything he says. He says to her, raising a child gives one an ambition that yeah. one might not have had because he knows that she's not ambitious, but he thinks that she's never done anything for her child, even though the whole reason she hid the giving the proto or hiding the proto molecule sample away was because she wanted to protect Philip and build a better world for him. But of course he doesn't know that because she's never, you know, done anything ambitious but because she has no ambition. He said, um, that he brings up the impetuousness of youth because her leaving him was impetuous. He is so slimy. <laughs> <laughs> He's he uses everything against her. Yeah. To make him look good in front of Philip, to make her look bad in front of Philip, to mock her about what he made Philip into. Like and the way he says Naomi, welcome home. I wanted to throttle him. <laughs> that's not her home yeah and, and f- even philip when he puts her in the prison cell you were wrong to leave us he doesn't even know yeah it, it's, it's so it's heartbreaking hard to watch yeah how deep is philip into this whole entire thing like is he able to be redeemed um mm-hmm. it, it's quite sad because you want her to be able to get through to him as a like as a mother um so it's pretty pretty heartbreaking and and just she feels hopeless and helpless because there are things that are happening she's seeing them happen and she can't do anything about it and that's similar to what um Avasarala is dealing with she is she's far away from earth she sees things that are happening and she can't do anything about them that last shot with Naomi, well, not the last shot with Naomi, but the last one before the speech, when she's just left alone in the cell with all of her fear, her grief, her trauma, it's so upsetting. Yeah. Like, she's just so broken by yeah, this. Yeah. Um, but of course, then there's the speech, which, oh boy, was that a speech. That man took credit for everything. <laughs> I think he yeah, took credit for like me. creating humanity. 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was me want to fight about it. Um, I mean, he's claiming to speak for the entire belt, which... Okay. Um, <laughs> there is that bit, though, at the very end that, that did, you know, get me, and he says, today and forevermore, we are free. I mean, I don't... Like, Naomi says, I don't think killing millions of people who have nothing to do with Earth government... Uh, <clears throat> is helping the belt at all. Um, yeah. The chaos is helping the belt, I guess, because it gets Earth eyes away from what's going on in the belt. But how in the hell does killing millions of innocent people who have literally nothing to do with the oppression of the belt, and some of whom probably agreed that the oppression of the belt was wrong, what does killing them have to do? And I mean, I'll talk about this in a second, but... What does killing them have to do with anything? Why is he so proud? Like, yeah, I killed millions of people because it frees us. And it's like, you killed maybe some of the wrong people. Yeah. He like, killed civilians. Just, yeah, he sure, killed civilians. Then... Like, yeah, he took out Gao, which, okay. He took out Fred, which. But okay. they weren't the target. No, he took out the, mar like, well, he didn't. As far as he's probably involved, though, because it happened at the same time. But the Martian parliament was attacked. Yep. Like, yeah, okay. But, like, what does anyone else have to do with that? Exactly, yeah. And, I mean, we're going to talk about it, but, like, Naomi has a point when she says that to him. I mean, they both have different viewpoints on the world because of what they have come to see the world as. But Naomi's not wrong when she says, like, I don't understand what, you know, killing civilians does for the belt. Like, it shows you're powerful, sure, but what does it actually do? Yeah. You know what it it's does? It makes him a terrorist. Yeah. That's what it and does. Here's my thing, and this isn't, this isn't about Marco, but I do want to jump off that. There's a portion of the Expanse fandom who writes all Belters off as terrorists. Which sounds, I don't know, eerily reflective of how we talk about some groups in real life, and actually you probably should not talk like that about, like, whole swaths of people, right? But it does bring up this debate about the language of the oppressed, which is something I know here in America we've been very much dealing with over the last few months. Um... And there was a thread that was shared by Ty that said it explained the importance of the storyline for season four and puts what happens in season five in context. I'm going to try and read through this as fast as I can for a quick discussion about it, but it's about the language of the oppressed. Here we go. <sighs> Deep breath. Watching the first three episodes of season five, and it's really like season five really just explained the rise of Marco and Aros. To be very clear, to be, to me, sorry, it's very clear, Dawes and Johnson failed in their diplomatic resistance. I saw a tweet saying what is, that if Marco is, oh my goodness, that what Marco is doing 
if there are now 13,000 planets the Belters can go live on. And I'm like, mm, season four is right there. Earth wouldn't let the Belters go through the ring, literally killing them when they tried. Then when Belters finally did reach a planet, here comes the UN to kick them off the planet and claim it for themselves. That's like the whole plot of season four. Even when the system is given ample resources, enough for everyone, the inner planets still try and hoard those resources and demand that the Belters go last. You have both Earth and Mars with money and military weapons. Of course, they can easily stake their claim of the 13,000 planets over desperate Belter refugees. Anderson Dawes and Fred Johnson wanted a seat at the table. They wanted to play politics and diplomacy, but it doesn't improve the average Belter situation. Earth even has the OPA shooting Belters to keep them out of the ring gates. Their resistance failed, and what comes after diplomacy fails? Violence. The next step after a diplomatic political resistance fails is a violent resistance. Enter Marco. He is that violent resistance. It's clear that the OPA flopped when Drummer left Johnson. She was his right hand, his ride or die. When she left because he was willing to sell out Belters to Earth for a seat at the political table. When she saves Marco, it's because she sees how it's playing out. Fred and Dawes are leaders because they each run the two biggest OPA factions, and they each have leverage. If the Belters see that they will kill for the inners, then people will turn away from them. To Belters, Marco is going to seem like a necessary evil because their situation has not changed. It's really well laid out how you get to Marco. He's dangerous because he's right. It, it, he makes Fred and Dawes seem complicit in the oppression of the Belt. The seat at the table is very much a symbol of oppression. The table of allows the oppressors to dictate how freedoms and rights are given and earned. Gaining a seat means allowing the system will still control you. Allowing the system to still control you. It determines how far you go ahead and at what cost. Marco doesn't want a seat at the table. He's right, the table sucks. Instead, he's going to blow it up, and now everyone has to work under a new system. A system that might be fairer or create new oppressors. Also, a lot of the beef with Marco is personal. Because of Naomi and Ashford, the beef is personal, and that makes it easier to hate him. He needs to die swiftly as possible, to be honest. On sight him. I love that. I love that tweet. That's my favorite one. I say all this to say, season four shows how you get a Marco and his rise to power. It shows that more will side with him than not. Belters won't be as conflicted as I think people expect. Only our main people who have personal beef with him, really. I really like how the whole thing has been laid out. The process to mass destruction doesn't feel crazy random. It's very systematic how we ended up here. And that's from Honey Mac on Twitter. And I want to know what you guys thought of that. Well, Hendrix had a thought. I don't know if you heard that, but he had one. <laughs> I... I do agree, and, and one of the things that stands out to me is just the fact that, yes, we do dislike Marco because he's going against our core group. The interesting thing is, is that Marco is super charismatic, and a mm -hmm. lot of powerful people that are charismatic will do so many bad things and get away with them because mm -hmm. of their charisma. Um and it's and it's super important for us to note that that if we were outsiders not knowing the Rossi crew not knowing what he did to Naomi a person that we truly love um and other characters would we see it his way and i think we would i think that if we were going for the belters and the earthers and the martians were evil in our eyes and they were um, taking resources, not allowing them to be as human as they should be treated. 
I think we should would see things in Marco's perspective. So I, I it's interesting. I, I think you're absolutely right. Belters that are feeling oppressed will follow Marco because it is the he he's fighting and actually making a difference today. They're going to be blind to the fact that these rocks killed innocent people. All they're going to see as they they hit back against the inners, they hit back against their oppressors, um, they are making themselves free. That's what they're going to see. They're not going to stop to realize that what Marco is doing is actually wrong. Mm-hmm. And this is the wrong way about fighting for freedom. Yeah, and we've seen this reflected in world history. You know, detaching ourselves from wars that are so far away because we see them as justified because, well, they hurt us. I mean, this is something that's ingrained in American minds, like right now, for the, from the last 20 years. Um, this is something we've lived with. These detached wars where we celebrate, you know, victories, which often come with the death of innocence. And we have mm-hmm. to question that. Like, is that justified just because we want to, like, fight for freedom or you know take out enemies and things and marco's fight for freedom is on a scale much higher than that yeah and there's also you know i had a thought and i lost it as always because that's where i live is in a world of lost thoughts (laughs) one of the things that marco is fighting for is for the Belters. The Belters cannot live within, like, on any of the planets because of their, the way that their bodies have developed. Now that Marco has killed all these people, he's not making it any better for anyone. Right. Yeah. (laughs) He's actually making it more challenging. Mm -hmm. And the thing I, especially, yeah, like, for all the groups of Belters who don't have warships this is going to be a little more challenging because you're going to have inners who want to take revenge indiscriminately on belters because of the actions of one belter. Like, he sets so many belters up for more dangerous situations by doing this. And quite yeah. honestly, the the one group that stood out to me the most in my memory, just because it's, it's in my recent memory because I've watched shows like The Crown and stuff, is the IRA. Um, because they felt that they were under the boot of an empire who at multiple times tried to take out their country, their cultures, their way of life, um, even to Scotland. Um, like, this this country tried to systematically take out the cultures of three different nations in close proximity to them, Wales, Ireland, and Scotland. And the IRA, like, we can look back on it now with all this distance between us and say that, oh, well, maybe violence wasn't the answer, you know? But at the same time, they were pushed to a limit where Irish people were just being killed. Like, and and it's like, at at what point do you finally say enough is enough? And resistance has to be met with, you know, a a fist. fist. No, I completely agree. I'm not saying that Earth and Mars are without blame. Absolutely. There's lots of blame to go around. Yeah. It's just like, that's probably the closest for me that yeah. I can think of, because um, I'm Irish, is the IRA. Um, and because I just watched The Crown. Uh, because they, they faced a similar issue where for centuries they were oppressed by this country. And, you know, they want this country out of their affairs. 
and not everyone agreed with them but it became like a a, a joke a stereotype because this group of people were violently fighting this revolution trying to get freedom for their people like their neighbor to the south actual republic of ireland so you know it's it's just something to think about it's it's hard to when when you live in a position of privilege where you are not affected by the system of oppression it's easy to decide what the right thing is to do but when you are the one facing down those guns that boot your decisions might be different and i'm not saying marco is right but marco has a point to everything he's saying about earth and mars and how they won't let belters through the ring and how you know he has a point he has a lot of points i don't like that he's a manipulative jerk and i don't like that he killed millions of people but the man has a point yeah and and you know what um the authors of the expanse are always praised because the books touch on a lot of things that are happening in our world and a lot of people are like oh my gosh how do you do it it's so amazing that it's so relatable and um it's really interesting because they say like the reason why we write this way it's because history has not been used to learn and from our mistakes mm -hmm. everybody keeps on making the same stupid mistakes and we, yeah, this is why we're seeing it all over again our yeah. books are not re revolutionary we are just doing things because of observations and they are the mistakes are still being made mm -hmm. and it's so important because we do have places around the world where there is that oppression and then people start to to uprise and and fight um and we are seeing that with the belt mm -hmm. yeah i'll have to see uh where this goes is everybody watches his speech get broadcast all across the system. Yep. Mm -hmm. I, I know two characters at this point who are feeling very not good seeing Marco and Nara's plastic all over the system. And uh, those, those, well, three of them. Uh, and those people are Drummer, Holden, and Naomi. Yeah. So. Oh, when Amos finds out what's going on. Ooh, when he finds <laughs> out that Naomi has been captured. Ooh. Oh, that boy. He gonna, <laughs> he gonna put jetpacks on his shoes and fly right to the Pella oh, and just man. kick some butt for Naomi. I would not want to be Marco at that point. <laughs> no. I mean, listen, if I had a, to face down with, um, let's see, uh, Amos and, and Holden even, and also Naomi, man, I would just, I would just let myself die. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think I would even. <laughs> At that point, it ain't worth it, bro. It ain't worth it. It ain't worth it. No. Ain't worth it. But is there anything else that we would like to discuss before we wrap up this episode? I think that there was a lot of emotions once again in this episode. Mm -hmm. Episode three was very emotional. And in this one, it just, there's so many, oh, Stressed. crap moments, too. Um, so is there anything else we would like to wrap up with other than well, rest in peace, Fred Johnson? The only thing keeping me not stressed watching this episode is knowing that at some point in the episode I get to see Holden get <laughs> cold Get conked by a robot. Just, <laughs> I, like, yeah. Also, I mean, the Tycho thing, the episode goes by so fast, I didn't realize how deep into the episode I was until I happened to look down. I was like, oh. Um, 
But yeah, the only reason I can survive that episode is because I get to see Holden punched by a robot. Yes. But you know who doesn't get punched by robots? I don't know. I was gonna say I was gonna I was trying for a second I blanked on the dog's name, so I was gonna say Kira. Oh no. But then I remembered Fred also made her squeak a minute ago, so I don't know. She was yawning. She was like squeak. Anyways, so if you like this episode full of craziness, full of turmoil, full of destruction and uprising, you can let us know by emailing us at tightbeamatrandomshatter.com. Let us know what you thought. Let us know if we missed something. If you want to tell us that we um, forgot to mention something extremely important. Um, you can also find us on Twitter at the tightbeam. Um, you can find me on Twitter at catsbears. That's K-A-T-Z-B-E-A-R-Z. Shannon, where can they find you? You can find me almost anywhere at Shankbeezy. You can also find Fred at... Freddy One Kenobi. That's F-R-E-D-D-Y-W-O-N Kenobi. You can also find us at randomchatter.com where we have other shows not just about the Expanse. We have the Marvel Universe. We have DC Comics. We have different TV shows such as Cobra Kai, which our lovely Shannon is part of, and also Star Wars. It's enter the dojo. They're doing Cobra Kai. Oh, yeah. I was going to let her do her thing, man. I... She did it beautifully. Well, I meant that there was Cobra Kai, not the There's show. There's a show about Cobra Kai yeah, is what yeah, she was yeah, trying yeah. to say. I got you. Oh, are you done your segment? Yeah. Oh, okay. I wasn't <laughs> sure because Fred corrected you and I got all derailed. I did not correct her. <laughs> I just pointed out some information that was interesting. If you love the show, help us spread the word. Uh, we'd love it if you'd leave some reviews or, or ratings on your podcast platform of choice. Maybe drop some stars. Let us know what you like about the show or help us improve the show or tell us what we're doing great. You can also share us on social media. Earlier today, I tweeted our most recent episode. And later today or tomorrow, I'll be tweeting about another one. Please uh, give those tweets a retweet. Uh, spread our polls when we put them out, our questions. But definitely help us spread our episodes. We would love to get to more ears. And speaking of ears, the most important way and the, the easiest way to spread the word about our show <clears throat> is word of mouth. Tell your friends about us. Do your friends like The Expanse? Do your friends like hearing people yell a lot? Do your friends like hearing people talking about people getting punched by robots? This is the show for you. Tell your friends. Tell your mom. It's almost Christmas. You're going to see your mom. She's going to be asking eh, you what you've been might up not. to. No, no, no. COVID safe. Let's, let's well, do Well, I said you might see your mom. I mean, I live with my mom, so I see my mom. Anyway, if you have a COVID safe Christmas and your mom asks you what you're doing, or you could be at a Christmas Zoom call and she That's asks what true. you've been doing, tell you to listen to the type beam. She's not going to know what that means. But, hey, you told somebody. And we really appreciate that. And thank you guys so much for listening. Please help us spread the word. And we really, really want to hang out with you. We really want to get to know our fan community more. Come over to randomchatter.com slash discord and hang out with us. It's completely free. We have a discord server. It's a lot of fun. We can chat up a storm and share all the different links and behind-the-scenes stuff and everything that there is. Can't wait to do it. Um, if you do want to become a supporter or a member of the Random Chatter Network, you go to randomchatter.com slash Patreon, and for as little as a dollar a month, you can be a member of Random Chatter, and that opens up the full Discord server as well as some other perks. Um, if 
Uh, Patreon is not your thing and you don't want to do a, a monthly subscription, you can go over to randomchatter.com slash store. Uh, that'll link you to our Tee Public store and we get a bit of the proceeds from over there. Lots of cool merch. All the music that you hear in this episode is Ursa Minor by Cell Dweller and as silly as this sentence sounds, all trademarks are owned by the respective owners.